Hi, thank you so much for joining us for this evening's live Q&A for IFC Films at Banquet. My name is Mara Webster with In Creative Company. Um, before I introduce Ruth Al, I just wanted to let you know if you have any questions for Ruth at any point during the conversation this evening, there's a Q&A box at the bottom of your Zoom screen. So please feel welcome to put any questions that you have there throughout the conversation. We'll keep, be keeping an eye on those and try to jump to a couple of those towards the end of the discussion. Um, and it is my absolute pleasure to introduce the film's director, Ruth Paxton. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Great to see you. Thank you so much for doing this. We were just talking about awkward Zoom waves. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me. Of course. I wanted to dive straight in by talking about the collaboration that you had on this project with Justin Bull, who's the screenwriter, because in the short films that you've directed before, you've, you've written your own projects. And so this was kind of a unique exercise in the fact that it was your first feature film. And also you were working from Justin's screenplay. But it sounds like he was incredibly collaborative in terms of the continued development process once you came on board and, and very open to a lot of the suggestions and ideas that you brought to the table. And so I was interested in, in some of the scenes that the two of you kind of fleshed out or evolved together once you came on board to direct the film. Sure. Well, you're absolutely right. It was a really, um, a really lovely collaboration with Justin. And one of the things I'm grateful for is how much I learned, actually, as a writer and a director from having to unpack someone else's work, basically. It was, it was a real process to sort of dig into it, not just to find roots into it, in order to direct it, but also just like the science of the script, you know? And Justin's much a much more prolific writer than me and much stronger on structure and plot. So yeah, there was a lot to learn from him. But the script started as a film that was set in Boston, actually, in a suburb there. And so it it's quite different in many, you know, it's quite different from, from I guess, what, what, what I read when I first read it and what I pitched for, actually in its translation to the UK. So, I mean, the, the process was like, I kind of, when I read it, there was so much about it that I loved and it was his characters that I loved and I, you know, the, the concept. Um, and there were scenes there that remained right up until, you know, we shot things that didn't change at all, including the pee scene, which is really the moment that in reading the script that made me want to do it. But I think, you know, what I knew when I read it was that I could probably bring something to the characterization. I could probably, you know, rich, enrich them um, because of my experience and because of my perspective. Um, and he was just very generous with that. So at first it was me um, giving notes, I guess, like feeding back that way. And then laterally I was doing my own drafts because I just felt I needed to get my fingers all over it kind of thing. Um, and, he, you know, and that, that he was very generous with that process. So, you know, because I've never done that. I've never, as a writer, had someone else direct my writing. And I don't know what that would be like. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a strange, it's a strange world, but um, definitely um, a really great experience. That's really wonderful. And one of the other collaborations I was interested in is with your cinematographer, David Little, because the two of you have worked together for, I think, about 10 years, you were saying? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, which is an amazing shorthand to have with one another. But I was in intrigued by you mentioning previously how art pieces tend to be the way that you start your dialogue around what you think a film's going to look like. And for a film like this, so visual in so many ways, what were those artists or those art pieces that really influenced it? And how did that start to shape the visual language for both of you in the film? 
Sure. Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, one of the things that made doing this first feature far less daunting was having these collaborators that I've been working with for years, and particularly Dave, you know, um, and we do. Yeah, we love paintings. We, you know, that's kind of our touchstone for most projects. And we usually have like for most of the work we've done, we'll have one singular image that's kind of the spark that we come back to for this. I would say, you know, we were kind of riffing on stuff that we've that we've loved for a long time. But there's an artist, a Scottish artist called Ken Curry, who's a contemporary painter, but whose work is really clearly very strongly influenced by like the masters, the classics like Caravaggio. So he's got, um, they're very dark tonally and there's a lot of shadows and there's usually the subject is lit rather than the space. And also they're, you know, quite abstract works and, you know, um, they're typically quite haunting, quite grotesque. He does a lot of, um, he's, he focuses on flesh a lot. He's really into bodies and, and like meat and stuff. And that's my thing too. So I love, I love Ken Curry and his work, the three oncologists would probably be the, you know, it would probably be the, the, the one I would, I would say is the most, I suppose, influential. And it's less to do with um, the color palette, although that links, it's more about the feeling it evokes and the tonal quality and, and the kind of what it makes you think. And that's how Dave and I work as we talk a lot about, you know, okay, so we're reacting to this. Why? And what is it we're feeling? And why is it we're feeling that? And what is it about the image? And how can we translate that? So, you know, yes, of course, we, we look at art for, you know, um, I guess, texture and, um, and, and colour, of course, but a lot of the time it's more like, whoa, is that hitting you the same way as it's hitting me? And let's try and sort of, I don't know, feed that back into everything about the visual language of the film. So for this, it was curry, but also um, Kevin, uh, Kevin Bacon, Ruth Francis Bacon. <laughs> <laughs> what a slip Francis Bacon and, and yeah uh, the Baroque kind of classical artworks of Caravaggio and other Italian masters which are across the board like always going to be huge references for me and while this film doesn't specify a religion as such um, and that's a deliberate choice the original script definitely did and it was something I wanted to remove from it um, there's no getting away from the fact that I'm really influenced by like Catholic iconography and you know I suppose the Pieta scene in the Madonna and Child. So that's really there throughout how we frame Holly and Betsy as well, I think. And you're bringing up there some art that has the light focusing in on the subject as opposed to the space around. Um, and that's one of the really striking elements in the way that you start to film certain scenes. There's a lot of light and airiness early on in the film. And then, you know, once we get to that, that moment where it's the dinner scene, the pea scene that you were mentioning, the, the subjects and the characters are all really lit. We see every feature on their face and yet you've got the darkness of the walls behind them and the darkness of the shadows. And so was that a very early point for you in terms of figuring out the way that you wanted to use light and shadow in the film as well? Absolutely. It's so cool to hear you like recognize that about it because that is basically the visual arc for the film in the house, particularly is this idea that we start in a space that's very brightly lit and ultimately get to a space where it's like the curtains are all closed. It, it, there's a siege like mentality about the space and the, you know, the light to the space. So that was absolutely the plan. And I have a big thing about drapes. I love drapes. I love, I mean, basically going back to the, you know, the use of drapery in Baroque art, I just love that kind of um, like the way you can dress them very, very, very straight and say something or, or very loose and say something else. So that was, um, 
that was where a lot of the budget went. <laughs> was on on drapes and my obsession with that and covering this really huge panoramic window we had in that location. Um, so yeah, that was that was absolutely the you know the the the, the sort of goal with with the I guess that that arc for sure um, and with Betsy's room as well was to get that to be you know a darker and darker and darker space. Yeah. I mean, as well as the drapes, though, it sounds like a lot of the budget went on to the painting of the walls as well within the house, because I mean, that house is a really, really spectacular location. And about two thirds of the shoot was in that space as well. You know, that's where we're spending the majority of our time, um, you know, so it's an incredible location that you found. But but I read that the um, the walls were all white in there. And so you came in and really came up with a specific color palette. Um, how did you land upon the color choices that you wanted us to have within there? Well, the. You're right to notice, you know, to, to make the point about the budget, because, you know, that really was, it was a very low budget production. And that really did take up a massive amount of the art department's um, allotment, but it needed to be done because that house was a, an amazing space. It offered so many um, wonderful, like vantage points. Um, and for me, one of the things I like the most about it is that there's a number of entrances and exits. So you don't really know who's coming from where and going from where. And I think that kind of labyrinth-like vibe speaks to the, I suppose, the, what's going on internally for the characters. Um, but the colors themselves, we what we knew that it needed to be dark, you know, it, we didn't want to do a horror film with white walls. It, it was going to need to be dark, but we were talk, talking about whether it would be a very, very dark blue, a very, very dark green or a very dark gray. And the green just sat nicely with the basically with what I decided I wanted for Holly's um, color palette. So we, I knew early on that Holly would be, you know, started starting out wearing these kind of like more um, flushed pinks and um, you know, oranges and, you know, sort of warmer colours. And as it sort of progresses, it, you know, not, not in a complete line, but as it progresses, she sort of fades to just really wearing more beige and white. And the idea of her against this green colour really felt right. But also because the location ha had this window onto what seemed to be like this really weird tropical garden for London. It was like this South London suburb and this bizarre jungle garden. And the green just felt like it was nice to carry it into the house, basically. Um, so that that was the reason for the green choice, yeah. Yeah, and as well as, you know, when you look at Holly, as well as her costumes being a, a space where we see the different spaces that she's in emotionally as a character, you also use the physical space as a tracking. You know, everything's very minimalist and, and very meticulous at the beginning. And then, it's, you know, it's maybe, maybe a chair's out of place and then things become a little bit more ruffled. Um, and so how did you find the visual points for all three of the, the main characters within that family and how you wanted to find visual aspects like that where you could reflect what's going on internally with a lot of the external details around them? Well, so much of that is really credit to Sophia Stockwell, the production designer, who, you know, just to, to speak to the minimalism, actually, you know, um, we knew we wanted that. I knew I wanted the house to have an order. And I knew that, you know, Holly was somebody that had an eye for design and was, you know, really cared about the space around her. But I was also trying to balance the idea, that idea with the fact that this was a family home. You know, you didn't want it to feel too austere at the beginning. Um, and Sophia kind of put together a package of three different packages of what she proposed for the minimalist level. 
And there was like, there's minimalism, there's really, really minimal. And then there's really fucking minimal. And it was like, you know, it went from being like sort of Scandi kind of like what you might expect to just like kind of a really barren, aggressive minimalism. And I was like, well, we shouldn't go that far. I think that that's, I think that's hard to pull off. And she really pushed me to do it. She was like, you don't see, you don't see horror films like that. Horror films tend to be cluttered and, you know, kind of messy and, you know, like hiding things in the corners. So let's kind of make it more open and kind of more, I don't know, again, aggressive in, in that sense. And it was her who kind of had these instances of violence that would break out as the film progressed. And actually it's something I wish we could have paid more attention to because there was more detail there. We just didn't have the time or capacity to cover it all. But especially in the garden, there was some great stuff in the garden with smashed plant pots and things. Um, but yeah, it was, it was uh, you know, a, a lovely kind of through line. And um, you really noticed it when you were in the house, like, you know, because it felt like you wanted to line up that chair and, you know, that Holly would want to do that, but obviously she got to a point where she didn't care anymore. So I'm not sure if that answers your questions about the three characters, sorry. No, that was great though. I, I love all that detail. Um, you know, and I also wanted to talk about in terms of, of Betsy and Holly, the, the two main characters in the film, you know, we see, we see that scene right at the beginning of the film in the opening where, you know, Holly loses her husband and Betsy loses her father um, when, he, when he passes away by suicide. And there's this interesting journey with trauma that these characters are experiencing and grief where we're not necessarily seeing them have conversations about it, but it's always there as an undercurrent. And so mm -hmm. even going back to everything we were just talking about, feels like there's a lot of ways that these characters are trying to create order in a way that they can control because there's so many external elements around them that they can't you know including the loss of a key family member and so what are the ways that you really wanted to express those through those characters well that's a smart question I think you know well I mean I guess the obvious comparison there with Betsy to start with is you know her control of food and that's how you know like if you want to look at um her experience from a kind of uh you know, what, what is a possible reality would be that she's, you know, experienced disordered eating and she's restricting her food intake um, and she's, you know, become kind of repulsed by food. And that is definitely, you know, what Betsy's character was about from the outset. The idea that she's somebody that kind of didn't feel she had a sense of purpose, didn't have control and wasn't special. And then suddenly starts, you know, this idea is planted and she slowly, you know, she refuses food, but does it in a more and more controlled way. And with that starts to see how much power that's, that's giving her. And I guess how important it's making her feel and the impact it's having on the family. And that's, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, a kind of fairly, well, from personal experience, that was one of the ways that my anxiety manifested was that, you know, I control food in, this, in a very similar way. And that was one of the things that attracted me to the script. So I think for her, there's that. And there's kind of, again, this, this having a sense of purpose is very important for Betsy. I mean, with Holly, it's just about like, maybe you could say it's in the preparation of the food, because obviously, you know, she wants her children to eat. But if you look at the effort she puts into the food that she makes, there's something very controlling about that, I think, because it's, you know, it's like, yeah, not only, you know, do I want you to eat, but look at the 
effort I've made and look at the, you know, the lengths I've gone to to create something like fucking artistic for you to, to eat. So there's that. And I think, you know, as well, Holly has her own experience of, I suppose, you know, what we can, what we can guess is, you know, poor mental health in her youth, which was maybe handled a very different way by her mother. And that's, I think the reason why Holly is very keen to keep it at home, not to, not to kind of go down the similar route, which was, you know, and to institutionalize her daughter. So, yeah, I mean, you know, Holly's a tightly coiled spring. She is, and, and Sienna uh, Guillory, who plays her, was was the first cast member that you cast in the film, and and I also believe the only cast member that you got to meet in person right at the beginning before everything went into lockdown. Um, how did how did kind of like casting her and starting to just really envision her and the character specifically start to really shape the way that you saw that character specifically as well? It was an amazing an amazing thing that happened that I was able to meet her because she was so influential on the script. I think. Yeah. The kind of Holly that I was, you know, I guess that I first met when I first read the script was a very different kind of a woman. It was a very different family culturally, um, you know, in America, in the suburb. And that was interesting to me because it was so different to me. And, you know, that was something I thought I could, you know, um, explore in a, in, a, in a visually interesting way. But then when we decided to relocate it to London, I was just really aware that there was no equivalent. It was, it wasn't, it's hard, it's hard to explain why, but you couldn't transplant that family. And so meeting Sienna, who is in herself, like a really stylish person with a really interesting kind of, um, actually quite unique style, made me think about ways that Holly could, you know, that Holly could appear quite, really quite differently to the original Holly and the kind of family this could be. Um, and so, yeah, it, she, was, she was a huge influence on it. And it also meant that I was able to talk to her about the character and talk to her about, um, you know, I guess the house and, you know, all, all these things, shared images with her, you know, that because I should say, you know, we were due to go into production in May 2020, but um, the lockdown, obvious COVID pandemic, put paid to that and it meant that we didn't shoot until July, August. So that gave me the summer to prepare and also to get to know um, Sienna and, you know, to, to collaborate with Dave and really, really dig into, you know, what it is we were trying to say with the camera, with each scene. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, like Holly slash Sienna, sorry, was across so many of the decisions when it came to costume. In fact, she's, she's wearing bits of her own clothes and, you know, the house itself we kind of decided that, you know, she was somebody that probably worked in the arts, maybe a food stylist, um, maybe a photographer, that kind of thing. You know, it, it, it's irrelevant. You don't need to understand that to understand the character. But she, um, yeah, she looks, I think she looks like she belongs in her surrounds. Yeah. And I was also really interested in some of the aspects of your collaboration with Jessica Alexander, who plays Betsy, because it's it's a really remarkable performance from her. And one of those reasons is that there's so much that she delivers in her performance where you're really bringing the camera in and bringing it very close to her. And there's a whole undercurrent of dialogue throughout the film that's never expressed through words and really just her performance is speaking volumes in so many moments and instances. And you never shy away from just, you know, we're just gonna sit with her for a couple of minutes and, and tell the scene that way. Um, and so it's interesting in how the two of you really worked in, on a lot of those scenes in particular together. Sure, well, Jess is fearless and I mean, really, <laughs> and also very generous because, you know, she she threw herself at it quite literally. And I mean, you know, 
she, she wasn't coming away with it with terrible injuries, but you know, she did really strain her voice. She did, you know, she did really fight on that bed at the end. And I'm so grateful to her for that. Um, but honestly, Jess and I, you work differently with, with each actor you work with. And she's somebody that I had quite a unique relationship with. Usually I, you know, there's, there's a lot of talking about feelings. There's a lot of unpacking. There's a lot of sharing. And, and Jess just, I could tell quite quickly, just wasn't really, that wasn't really going to work for her. She's not a trained actress. Um, so she maybe has different, I don't know, different routes into the character, different access points. But really, it's just, I don't know, she's just got a very natural ability. And it's like, I joked with her that, like, you know, we would some, I would sometimes shout cut, and I'd be like, not quite right. And she'd be like, yeah, not. And we, ha we had no words. And then she did it again. And it was like she, I don't know, it was like she calibrated something and just did it. It was very strange. She just knew what was truthful. And I think she knew when she believed herself. And that was a really pure gift, actually, because... Because she just knew, yeah, she just knew, like, I haven't actually, that's not, I'm not going to, I'm not buying that myself, so we'll do it again. But actually, with Jess, she kind of got it right the first time, most times. And then when we were experimenting, so, for example, the big scene at the end where she's kind of testing her mother, and it's very, very physical. I gave her a few notes going in. We talked about um, the idea of, of birth, of labour, um, of, you know, where the pain was situated, of... You know, you know how she was really trying to manipulate her mother, that kind of thing. But, but actually, I like to be in the space as much as I can. And that day, we kind of just did it live. Like we just, I just shouted things at her, and she did it. And I, and I love actors that can work that way because it's not for all actors, and that's reasonable. You know, to, to have somebody barking at them in the middle of a take. But she, she really responded to that, and she kind of got off on it. And I think, you know, that really excites me. There was something very electric about it and yeah bonding I guess with us all because because she could trust us and you're right we did go in close and she didn't flinch with any of that you know she was um very brave yeah I also really love a lot of the camera shot choices that you made and the way that you kind of use that to express relationships and to kind of add to that sense of everything just feeling a little bit off kilter and a little bit unbalanced for the audience so you know maybe there's a close-up on on Jess but the camera is just looking ever so slightly up at her or when you have Holly and Betsy and they're having a conversation but with the location they're actually in two separate rooms down the hallway so there's never a two shot with them together in that moment um and how did you find a lot of the camera angles where you really use that to to build on that sense of like kind of tension and discomfort and as well as an expression of the relationship between the two of them falling into that disarray I think the house dictated a lot um so you know we we needed to find a space that was going to allow us to play and give us loads of options because we knew you know we we're going to be there a long time and we didn't want an audience to tire of the space um, so there, there's, there's a lot like, so there's this kind of like, um, arena, like amphitheater sort of vibe stage where they, that connects the living area to the kitchen, but there's a foyer that looks down onto it, which, you know, in itself is great, but that foyer is actually like kind of the main door and it's like a little, like gnarly little elbow where there's rooms coming off and it was a it was a tough spot to shoot in actually it was really really tough and that's why as the film progressed I was sort of more and more utilizing the other entrances and exits because we Dave and I didn't like the fire <laughs> so there's some awkwardness in it that's just there because the house presented us with that 
and where Betsy's bedroom was situated was, as you see, kind of in a, like kind of tucked in the back. Um, but you know, the camera is is so like it's a, it's an extension of Dave, and he reacts really organically to it, whether it's attached to him or it's attached to the Ronin that he's controlling, and he knows that. I mean, we would like to explore, we like to sort of get in and be uncomfortable with the characters. So a lot of it is just Dave res responding instinctively to what the characters are doing. But certainly we did talk a lot about developing, you know, visual style with, with the framing of Betsy and how, you know, we would, you know, she would progressively become more and more centered and Holly would become more and more off center as she kind of spirals. And yeah, I mean, I think the awkward, I think that's the thing. You're, it's funny you pick up on it because so often if, if something felt a bit odd, that was the key to go with it. So sometimes it was just about exploring and then going, that's it, because that doesn't look right. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was wrong, so we should do it. <laughs> I mean, overall, we're, with, with kind of the mood and the tone of the film and that sense of discomfort as well, I really like the way that it's it's not turned up to a 10 the whole time. You know, you really kind of play with that balance throughout the film. So we come in, you know, we're seeing the scene with the father. That's obviously kind of like a high discomfort moment. And then we're watching this mother and daughter in a very loving relationship with a lot of light in the space, you know, and then you find the, the ways where you kind of want to gradually build it and just kind of build that sense before we really know what's off kilter. Um, you know, so there's all these brilliant kind of like ebbs and flows in the pacing of, of the tone and the mood. And was that something that particularly with working on a lot of your short films and, and working within genre storytelling before that you feel like you've developed a real adeptness with that you were able to carry through? I'd like to think so. I mean, it seems like, you know, um, yeah, I, I would think so. I think like, you know, that particular, I guess what I hear when you say that is, 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 is about the, I guess the anxiety that's present, the sense of dread, you know, the, the kind of like what you're not seeing and, and how long you're allowing the audience to dwell in that unknowingness. And I think that's something that definitely is there in, in my short work that I've honed. It's something that I find quite um, easy to do, like, <laughs> you know, in a, in a way um, that, that sort of brand of discomfort and horror comes e easier to me than setting up jump scares and things, you know, and actually, you know, honestly, some of the moments in the film that do, I guess, celebrate that kind of a trope from horror are the le less comfortable ones for me. Like, I think we've made them work. But there's ones that I just think, oh, I just think that's cheap. You know, it's like, we, you know, maybe when Betsy's in the corner strangling herself and you notice late, laterally, it's like, it's creepy, but it's also like, it feels staged. And maybe, you know, that works because maybe Betsy's staging it. So maybe that layer helps with like how we read her character. But the, yeah, the, the kind of, yeah, the dread, the part that the sort of insidious sense of dread is something that's, you know, that starts with, I guess, how you design the image and then obviously the performance, but ends with your editor. And Matthias and I have worked together now on two films and he just speaks that language as well. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's all parts of the process. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's perfect because someone was just asking about the editing and, and we have a couple of questions that are asking about that pivotal scene where it's, you know, the food scene with like the back of Betsy's head, um, you know, and with that, that's that's not a VFX scene. That's that's a practical imagery where you're working with everything that we're seeing on the screen is there. Did you always know when you first looked at the script that it was really important that everything that we're seeing it was there and that it was all about practical elements versus VFX? Yes, 
Simple answer, yes. In part because I, that's how my brain works as well. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not like a tech savvy director. And a lot of the VFX, we do have bits of VFX in the film, but a lot of that had to be you know, continually explained to me how we would achieve it. I was, I knew what I wanted the end product to be, <laughs> what I wanted it to feel like, but getting me to understand how it would work was quite a task for people involved. But that piece, yeah, no, that absolutely had to be had to be practical. And, you know, it was, again, another large chunk of the budget went on creating this mouth. But um, it was, we needed, yeah, we needed to be able to sort of be in there. We needed to have something for Sienna to react to. I, I, I'm just much more interested in authenticity and having, the closer you can get the experience to reality for the actors in the situation, the better, really. And I mean, actually, I really applaud actors that have to do stuff like against green screen with dots and, and you know, react as if something's there. I think that must be incredibly challenging. I don't even know how you go about directing that, actually. But um, yeah, so it was it was great. And it was great to work with Dan Martin, who created it. Um, it's just alarming how much work, effort and preparation went into creating it and how little it's on screen. And I should say the only there's there is like the only there's a little bit of saliva enhancement that's VFX in the post of that, but that's it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's it's a wildly impressive scene. And obviously if that scene hadn't worked, then the whole film wouldn't feel like it works in the way that it does. Um, and and Tim was asking about what was the most daunting scene for you to, to film within this movie? Um, well, I, I would joke and say they all were, but <laughs> I... In reality, it would be Sienna's scene at the end, I think, just because when somebody's exerting themselves to that degree, you can't do it over and over again. So if you're not getting it, or if you're not really close to getting it on the first take, you kind of know you're fucked, you know? And it's that's it, that's it's about as well, for me, it's like so much of the, the way that I direct is just instinctive. It's just kind of like, I know if it's, you know, you just know if it's right because of the way you're feeling. And again, mm -hmm. it goes back to that thing about, you know, do I believe it? And then, you know, some, sometimes, you, you know, you don't believe it, but you know that, that in the edit and with music and the way you address the, the quality of the image that you can get it there. But I love it when you just feel it in the moment and you're just like that on its own is enough. And so that's what I desperately wanted to feel when we shot that scene. I wanted to be moved. I wanted to feel broken. I wanted to cry. I cry a lot when people cry, like when the actors cry. And that's a good indication that, that, that in my opinion, we've got it. And that day I was, I was really nervous because Sienna had, you know, Sienna definitely kept herself hidden from the rest of us that day. She was, she was grumpy, you know, and, and we later found out, she later told me that she had kind of not eaten that morning, you know, she had to prepare. And she also had isolated herself from her own family at this point for a month because of COVID and everything and to keep the crew safe. So she was in a really overwrought place. And it was just, yeah, it was just, it was just like on the edge of like, you're all right. Are we doing the right thing here? Uh, you know, you want to take care of her at the same time as I want her to fall apart. You know, so that would probably be the day, you know, the, the, the scene basically from where she wakes up and Betsy's in a different place and she follow, follows out the house. I would think that was the one I was most anxious about doing. Yeah, well, I'm really impressed with with the visual way in which you've told this story. I think the character trajectories work so brilliantly and really excited to see what projects you do next as a writer and director. And thank you so much for taking time to talk about all of this. It's been such a pleasure, Ruth. 
Thank you so much. You're, you know, you're, the level of like insight you have and research you've done is really overwhelming. So thank you very much. I feel like I maybe didn't do you justice, <laughs> but I love the interview. Thank you very much. No, likewise. Thank you so much. Have, have a great rest of your evening. You too. See ya. Bye.